you're just now joining with us this summer, we are going through a series on the parables of Jesus. This morning, we will be looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector from the Gospel of Luke. So if you would please stand now for a reading from God's Word. This is Luke chapter 18. I'll begin reading in verse 9. Luke writes, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would do what our own minds and intellects cannot do. That you would use your word to pierce us through. That not only would you convict us of our own self-righteousness, but in the place of that conviction, would you plant deeply in our souls the hope that we have in the gospel. As we leave this place, we pray that we would cling and trust to the finished work of Christ. May by his death and resurrection that we would be changed. We ask this in his name. Amen. The British philosopher Bertrand Russell once wrote that righteousness cannot be born unless self-righteousness is dead. It's one of the most common critiques of atheists and thinkers against Christianity is that as Christians, we are arrogant, we are prideful, and we are self-righteous. That above all else, Christians tend to be judgmental. They tend to think that they are better, more righteous than everybody else, and this makes Christians hypocrites. Critics accuse us of being hypocrites, not because we think that we are better, but because we pretend that we're not just like everybody else, sinful and broken. Self-righteousness is the epitome of pride. It's the ultimate in arrogance. We cannot stand it in people, and yet it plagues us every single day. Charles Spurgeon said that the greatest enemy to the human soul is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. See, self-righteousness is completely antithetical to the gospel. It is opposed to every single thing that Jesus stood for and now stands for as he has conquered sin and death on the cross. And it's the reason why I think Bertrand Russell was right. Even though he was an agnostic, 
a very vocal critic of Christianity, I think he was exactly right. Righteousness, in order for it to be born, self-righteousness must die. I think Jesus would agree. This morning we're looking at a parable, a parable comparing the prayers of two men, the prayer of a Pharisee and the prayer of a tax collector. And in this parable, Jesus is wanting us to see just how prone we really are to self-righteousness and just how radical the grace of God really is. But before we see this, we have to get our bearings. You see, as 21st century Americans, especially if you have grown up in the church, you bring a lot of preconceived ideas about Pharisees and about tax collectors. And so we have to back up about 2,000 years and place ourselves among Jesus's original audience to try to hear this parable as if we were hearing it for the first time. The parable begins this way, verse 10. Jesus introduces us to two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and he tells us that these two men went to the temple to pray. Now, it's important that we recognize the setting of this parable in a temple for a couple reasons. The first is that the temple was the common place where the people of God would come and pray. Many of Jesus' parables are an object lesson. He's taking an object and he's using it as a metaphor to try to help us to understand something about God. So like the parable of the soils, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the house built up on a rock. But this parable is completely different. Jesus is telling a parable about a common everyday occurrence. People going to the temple to pray. The second thing we have to recognize is that these people the people that Jesus is using as examples were very commonplace, Pharisees and tax collector. But what I want us to understand this morning is that for the first hearers of this parable, a Pharisee was not immediately thought of as prideful or arrogant or self-righteous. You see, in the first century, Pharisees were part of the upper echelon, the, the religious elite. They were those who people looked up to if you would have lived back then, you would have wanted to be like them. You would have seen them as pious, as holy. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were seen as the lowest scum of the earth. They were synonymous with sinner. Sinful not just because of their occupation. It's not inherently sinful to be a tax collector. But sinful because they would keep some of the proceeds from the taxes to themselves. They were skimming off the top and everybody knew it. So not only were they sinning against God, but they were sinning against everybody else. And so they were hated for it. They were looked down upon. And so it's these two characters that Jesus is now holding up as an example. The pious Pharisee, self-righteous, the sinful tax collector, well, he is the one who's justified. How could that be? I say all of that to say this. Self-righteousness is not always the most easy thing to identify. 
Sometimes pride masquerades as piety. Sometimes arrogance looks a lot like achievement. And sometimes humility is very, very messy. And so if you struggle with the sin of self-righteousness, how would you know? And why is it so dangerous? I think Jesus' parable has a few things to say about that this morning. Three warnings of what it might look like for you if you are indeed struggling with self-righteousness and why it is just so dangerous for your soul. The first warning is this. You might be self-righteous if you want to be seen because this makes your Christianity superficial. I want you to look with me at verse 11. Jesus tells us this. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. Now there's not anything that unusual about this. This was very common for praying in the temple. You might be tempted to think, well, okay, he's being self-righteous. He's standing up while praying, but this was exactly how they prayed. It was very common for people to come to the temple and to pray while standing up. Not only that, but the Pharisee's prayer itself is actually based on a prayer in Deuteronomy 26. The Pharisee is doing exactly what he is supposed to do. He is praying out of the scripture. He is modeling his own prayer out of the Bible. And I think even more than that, if we give him the benefit of the doubt, I think we can trust the Pharisee at his word. I think his prayer is genuine. I think he's being honest. I think he genuinely really is thankful that he is better than everybody else. I want you to think about that for a second. He really is thankful. And so at first, we shouldn't just jump all over the Pharisee, throwing stones at him as if we were any better. I think Jesus wants us to see ourselves in him. You see, what's such a big deal about the Pharisee coming to the temple to pray as he is expected to do? Because that's his motivation. The reason he has come to the temple to pray is because that is what he is expected to do. He's praying in order to be seen. He's praying because he's supposed to, and he knows that everybody else expects him to come and pray. Jesus tells us about such Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. One of the first warning signs that you might be self-righteous is that you want other people to notice that you are holy. You want other people to see that you have it all together spiritually. You want other people to look at you and respect you for your godliness. To look at you and say, this person is a person that I want to be like. That this person, they've got it figured out. They're a good Christian. You see, when we want to be seen by others, 
when that really is the motivation for your Christian life, that others would notice your goodness and your morality, well, that makes your Christianity incredibly superficial. It's only skin deep. And I want to tell you that as a pastor, this is one of the greatest temptations that I face. I live in Dallas, Texas, the buckle of the Bible Belt, a place where pastors are respected. And so, so much of my Christian life is lived out in the public eye. And I would be lying if I said I didn't feel that, especially on a Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning when I come before you, I have to constantly push against this little voice in my head that desperately wants your praise and affection. I have to recognize that it is easy for me to try to manage the outward sins that you all can see because those are the ones that might get me in trouble rather than allow the God to work on the sins deep in my heart that nobody can see, but God does. I wonder, what does it look like for you? This morning as you came into the sanctuary, even now as you listen to the sermon, are you conscientious of what other people think about you? Do you think about how you're viewed? If people think that you are worthy to be here, if you belong here, if this is a place for you. As you sing hymns, do you worry about how good you're singing or how bad you're singing? As you look through the liturgy, if this is your first Sunday with us and you find yourself fumbling a bit because you're not used to it, are you worried that other people might think, oh, they must, they must not know? How much do you think about what other people think about you? Because if you're trying to live out your Christian faith in order to be seen, it could be that so much of what you are living is completely fake. Thomas Merton says it this way. I think he's exactly right. He says, pride makes us artificial. Humility makes us real. So what does real, authentic Christianity look like? I want you to look at verse 13. The tax collector, we're told, as he prays, he is standing far off. Why? Because he knows that he has no business being in the presence of a holy God. He has come to the temple he knows he is not worthy before God, and not only that, but he is not worthy before everybody else. And so he is taking up his rightful place back in the corner by himself, far off from everybody else. What does authentic Christianity look like? I think it looks like this, complete and utter desperation. For the tax collector to come to the temple that day to pray was costly. It was costly because he did not know what he would face in other people, the way that they would look down on him or scorn him, just as the Pharisee would do in his prayer. 
Yet even though he was, it was costly to him, it was the only place he could be because he was desperate. He was desperate for the presence of God to catch a glimpse of the grace, the grace that God had for him. The Gospel of Luke tells us of another tax collector in just one chapter over, Luke 19. It's a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Just like this tax collector, he was desperate to get a glimpse of God's grace. He wanted to see Jesus. And so this dignified man did a very undignified thing, and he climbed up a tree in order to get a greater glimpse. Friends, what do you want to see this morning? What have you come to see? Have you come to be seen by others so that others might look at you and think that you are pious and holy? Or have you come broken and dependent, desperate to see, just like Zacchaeus, something of the grace of God? The second way that you might be self-righteous this morning is this, that you compare yourself to other people. That makes you a moralist. The Pharisee prays this. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It's an amazing prayer if you think about it. I mean, rarely do I think any of us pray this honestly. <laughs> He's not trying to hide anything. God, thank you I am not like all of these people because they're terrible and I am not. That's essentially his prayer. Notice what he's doing is his gaze, his focus is completely horizontal. He's comparing himself not to God, but to everybody else. And before you throw stones at the Pharisee thinking that you're any different, what I want us all to recognize, and I'm at the front of the line, is that this is a basic instinct in all of us. That we are so naturally wired to be competitive, to compare ourselves to other people and at least just try to be better than the next person down the road. There's a couple of researchers from the University of Chicago just two years ago, and they did a study on the nature of self-righteousness. And this is what they found, that across the board, people view their own goodness, their own righteousness, not in terms of being better than other people, but in terms of being less bad. So, so we just, look, we, we want to make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves to the worst in other people. Take the worst that humanity has to offer, and if we're just better than them, then that will make us good. And then maybe then we could have confidence before God. Maybe we could have confidence that we're going to heaven. This is moralism. Moralism is goodness defined at a human level. Goodness defined by other people. But God has not called us to moralism. God has called us to holiness. Holiness is goodness defined by him. And none can compare to the holiness of God. You see, I think the tax collector knew it. Verse 13, we're told this. The tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast. The tax collector is broken. He is laid bare before the holiness of God and he is beating his breast in repentance. 
He's not claiming to be better than anybody else. He's not even thinking about anybody else. His gaze is so fixated in a vertical direction, he can't even look up. But he is struck by the holiness, the majesty, the glory of God, that all he can see is that he is not worthy. He is not worthy to be standing in his presence. The third way that you might know that you are self-righteous, just like me, is that you trust in yourself. This is idolatry. The Pharisee ends his prayer in this way with a list of all of his religious accomplishments. I want you to look at verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes that I get. Now, what you need to know is that in those days, Pharisees would often fast twice a week. The most pious of all of them would fast like clockwork on Thursdays and Mondays. The reason for that is they believed that that's when Moses went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive the law. He went up on a Thursday, came down on a Monday. And so they would fast twice a week on those two days as a picture of their devotion to the law, to follow every letter to perfection. Not only that, but the Pharisee tells us that he gives all the tithes that he gets. We also know that the Pharisees in those days gave tithes right down to the penny. So as, as everybody else would give tithes of the first fruits of the harvest, right? This big giant harvest and they would give a portion as an offering. The Pharisees would literally take a handful of mint and make sure that they pulled off a few sprigs as part of their tithe. They would tithe right down to the smallest leaf of an herb. So precise, so perfect, and so heartless. How can I say heartless? Because the Pharisee is doing all of these things just to build his resume. I wonder, have you ever taken a job not because you really wanted it, but because you knew that it would look good on your resume? Have you ever served on a board or done some kind of community service because, again, you knew that it would look good on a resume? You may have done every task exactly the way that you were asked to do it, but there's no heart in it. Somehow, by God's grace, I've gotten every job I've ever had without ever making a resume. Don't tell anybody, but I, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I will tell you this. I have been building a spiritual resume since the day I first came to know Jesus Christ. I've been trying, even though I know that God's grace is free and I know it's a gift, I still somehow deep down, I want to earn it. And so I find that everything that I do, I'm just trying to build my resume to try to stand before God, just like the Pharisee and say, look at me, God, aren't I worthy? Aren't I worthy of your love? This is why self-righteousness is so dangerous. It makes us so inward thinking, so selfish. It makes everything about us and in a word, the reason why self-righteousness is so dangerous for your soul 
is that it causes you to trust in yourself. Luke tells us about the crowd that day who heard this parable. It's in verse 9. I want you to look there. It says that Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. At the end of the day, the reason why self-righteousness is so opposed to the gospel is because it tempts us to trust in ourselves. To trust in ourselves that we are worthy of God's love. To trust in ourselves for salvation to build a resume before God and say, isn't this why I'm worthy of your love? Isn't this why I'm worthy of the kingdom? I wonder what's on your resume this morning. What is it that you are clinging to, that you're hoping is worthy of God's love? What are you trusting in this morning? Are you trusting in yourself Or are you trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? You see, I think there's another kind of self-righteousness that we have to pay attention to. I have no doubt that many of you this morning are just like me. That you find yourself trusting in yourself, your own goodness, your own morality. You're building a resume. You're thinking maybe that has earned God's love. But I also think there's many of us this morning... There's many of us who think that we're too far gone. There's many of us who are experiencing a different kind of self-righteousness altogether, and it's much more dark. It's a twisted kind of pride. A pride that says, I am so sinful, I'm so broken, and I am so messed up that God could never love me. I want you to know that that's self-righteousness too. And the reality is, is I think most of us struggle with both every single day. At any given moment, thinking that somehow we are worthy of God's love and in the next moment thinking that what we have done makes us completely unworthy of his love and grace. That he could never love a sinner like me. If that describes you this morning, if you find yourself struggling between thinking that you've got to earn enough to be just good enough for God to love you. Or that God could never love someone as broken and depraved as you. I want to ask you this. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? You see, the good news, the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ is this. That while we were still sinners, God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin and to rise again for our righteousness. That we could stand before God, not on our own merit, but only by the merit of his son. And so this morning, I invite you, if you find yourself struggling, struggling to trust in yourself, are struggling that you don't trust in yourself, I invite you to pray the prayer that the tax collector taught us to pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
if you've been striving, striving to be seen by others, I want you to know that God sees you. He sees every part of you, every sin that you've ever committed, and he loves you. If you've been striving to compare yourself to be better morally than other people, I want you to know that nothing can compare to the glory and majesty of God's grace for you. And if in pride you've been trying to build your resume, striving to make yourself worthy to be called a son or daughter of God, I want you to know this, that in humility, Jesus Christ laid his resume down to the point of death, even death on a cross. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in Christ alone. He loves you. He died for you. And he has called you son and daughter. And he has set you free. Please join me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in sending your son Jesus to die for our salvation. We thank you that we do not come pleading our own merit. We come because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we lay our own righteousness at your feet and we take up the righteousness that has been given to us in Jesus. May we trust in him only and him wholly today. We ask in his name. Amen.